So this is uh, from the Dhammapada, it's words from the Buddha. Harmlessness. All beings tremble before, vi- before violence. All fear death. All love life. See yourself in others, then whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? He who seeks happiness by hurting those who seek happiness will never find happiness. For your brother is like you. He wants to be happy. Never harm him or her. And when you leave this life, you will find happiness. From the Dhammapada. Just a couple... Mm, Here's the other one. Hatred never dispels hate. Look how he abused me, how he beat me, threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you will live in hate. Look how he abused me, beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? <coughs> Seems so simple, you know. The teachings of don't hate people, don't beat people up. Don't steal. <coughs> Don't be an asshole. You want some? Yeah, can have the rest of it. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about tonight. I guess the title of this talk is Don't Be an Asshole. <laughs> so listen carefully. And often I teach because it's what I'm learning. <laughs> so the Buddha um, gave the actual title of this talk is uh, ethical integrity but it's kind of the same thing yeah? ethical integrity and don't be an asshole to me mean the same thing so the Buddha laid out three main <coughs> teachings in the uh, or three they're, they're often talking about as the baskets of teachings grouped together in the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the prescription, if you will, to free your heart and mind from suffering. And there are just three basic things. Ethical integrity, otherwise known as sila. Sometimes it's called morality. I think uh, ethical integrity, ethical behavior, or just ethics. It's much more appealing to my rebellious nature. And samadhi, which also means concentration, or that's also sometimes talked about as bhavana, which means kind of the practices of meditation, this kind of mind training. But samadhi, uh, in this particular way, means the concentration of mind, the ability to kind of focus one's mind. And uh, panya, 
which is understanding or wisdom. So sila, samadhi, and panya are really the essence of the Eightfold Path, which is kind of the basic tenets of Buddhism. And it actually doesn't really matter, you know, sometimes we talk about there's this kind of Buddhism, that kind of Buddhism, but there's certain basic tenets that are found within all Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths, this Eightfold Path. So some of the, the, the kind of ideas around ethical behavior, uh, development of mind, and uh, development of both compassion and uh, wisdom. If anything is called Buddhism, it should have those components. So I'm going to talk a little bit about really just sila. Because, well, because it's my responsibility. Because I was in Thailand uh, at this monastery contemplating becoming a monk, uh, 2008 maybe. And I really liked it there, it was really nice. But also, I was pulled to come back to the world and uh, get a job and, you know, do that stuff. And um, I was walking with this one monk, and he was an older guy. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. But he was an older guy. He was a teacher in New Jersey, and he had a really thick New Jersey accent, which was very strange to be in Thailand in a jungle with a, a monk with a robe, you know, shaved head, the whole, looked like a monk, and then he'd be like, so yeah, check this out. You know, he was like very, like, it was very strange, but also very cool. And he was kind of a curmudgeon. He had become a monk early on. I mean, later on in life, he had kind of like semi-retired from teaching after years of working in high schools. And so we had, we had, we had some laughs. And I, you know, I worked with young people for a long time. So, um, and he basically said, like, if you're not going to stay here, then the job that you have to do is to teach ethics. Teach the people the ethics of the Buddha. That's your job. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I, that's actually is what I do these days. Not just here, like kind of in many places in my life. I find a way to sneak it in. And it's not just Buddhist ethics. It's just don't be an asshole ethics. Right? It's like found in every religion, really. So I'll read through them, just so you kind of get a sense. And this is a particular version that I like. Uh, do I have it here? So the the five trainings or precepts that are set out from the Buddha for the really the way of living in non-harming are to protect life or to not intentionally kill or cause harm. <coughs> They are to uh, not take 
or to yeah, not take what is not offered or to not steal. They are to uh, protect relationships and to be wise with sexuality, to be wise with your sexual energy, to not abuse uh, people sexually or yourself. To be kind of, to speak kindly and truthfully, be wise with your speech, and uh, to abstain from intoxicants that cloud the mind and cause craziness, in essence. So this is the five uh, precepts that the Buddha really set out as, look, if you want to be able to meditate and kind of get some freedom from suffering, it's also helpful if you don't uh, uh, cause harm. And there's some particular reasons why. And so that's actually where, where the Buddha started in his training. He would say, you know, you need to make these commitments to not cause harm, to you know, not take things. And if you've ever been on retreat, um, it's a pretty profound experience to know that, you know, there's, you could leave your iPod somewhere and it would just wouldn't disappear. Because everyone, it's agreed upon. And if you've ever been like to Spirit Rock or Atlanta Medicine Buddha, you know, the animals kind of know that they're safe there. It's really a trip. Yeah. So this ethical integrity. It's not very mysterious. Pretty kind of cut and dry, you know. You can live in a certain way and... Uh, there will be some repercussions for the way that you choose to live in these five areas. Right? In really all areas. This is what we're talking about with karma. But so the Buddha's instruction was to reduce and even eradicate suffering. We needed to follow this prescription of ethical behavior. That one cannot just meditate and expect to reduce suffering. And this is where I think we get it a little wrong, a little backwards. Is that... Uh, here in this country or in the West, um, mindfulness or meditation is often taught first. And then from there, people have either a positive experience or a, a, a not positive experience based on basically their ethical behavior. So people just sometimes, I, I, you know, I've seen this and I've done this myself, just kind of jump, and this is actually what happened to me. I just jumped into meditation and then all of the stuff that I had not wanted to think about and been kind of subconsciously or unconsciously avoiding came up. Right. It didn't happen right away. I had some pleasant experiences too where I felt like I was on mushrooms or something like that because otherwise I probably wouldn't have kept <laughs> meditating. You know, quite literally, I would have stopped. So someone told me I could get high from meditating when I was like 16 and so I started meditating. <laughs> I was locked up at the time, and I was really wanting to get high. So I was like, I'm going to meditate and get high. And it worked, actually, a little bit. I had some kind of head change, you know, for a positive. For, it was a good thing. But this idea of, like, if I just learn to meditate, now it's helpful. And I think really any way that we can get in on the path, we're, in, we're on the path. And then we have to decide. But... Uh, these have to go hand in hand, this ethical behavior 
and meditation, mind training. And that's where this understanding or the wisdom can develop through the combination. So if we, if we behave in a way that harms either ourselves or others, our capacity to focus on the task at hand, which is to free our minds and hearts from suffering, will be distracted. Will be distracted. Because we're so busy recapping, you know, rehashing, avoiding. So the ability to kind of cultivate calm and concentrated mind becomes really difficult. And uh, one of the ways that this became really clear to me, I was on a retreat. It was a longer retreat and I'm just sitting, you know, you just sit when you're on a retreat. So you do sit, walk, sit, walk, eat, sit, walk, sleep, sit, walk, it. That's what you do. And it's very freeing because it becomes very simple. And you just know you're just doing the next thing, the next thing. Anyway, there was this... So it had been a while. I was doing some journaling too, which you weren't supposed to do, but... It kind of helps. It's like I'm not really a journaler, so I wasn't using it to distract. I was using it to process. Um, and nobody spoke English anyway in the retreat, so I had to talk to somebody. <laughs> So what happened is that um, around maybe 15 days into this retreat, I j- just all of this stuff started to come up. First, I started to have these dreams, these visions of monks. Because was, I was at a monastery in northern Thailand. And all these monks were all, you know, whatever. They're monks, you know, peaceful, non-harming. But I started to have visions that they were jumping out of the bushes and they were like attacking me. And I would be fighting them. And all of this like aggression started coming out. I'm pretty, I can be pretty aggressive by nature. Well, by habit, actually. I'm actually not very aggressive by nature. I had to learn to be aggressive. And I had to learn to be aggressive at a certain time of my life. But I was trying to let that go, right? And then it kept coming up in my dreams, these monks, and then it was just very strange, right? Fighting. I felt like I, I'd like wake up in panics. And then I'd be meditating. And all of the these um, thoughts of, and memories of my sister, me and my sister fought a lot. She's older than me. We fought a lot when we were kids and we didn't get along. And um, I never really talked with her about it. Like as we grew up, we just kind of like moved on, you know. But there was a lot of hurt, you know. And then like uh, some of the things that both I had done uh, to my family or that I felt like my family had done to me, just these situations, you know. They just started to come up. And at first, I was really very aggressive with them, trying to shut them out. I, I started to have all these kind of these dreams I was telling you about. And then eventually, I, I well, actually, I talked with one of the uh, monks, the uh, Ajahn Chaiwut was his name. Chaiwut, he didn't understand very much English. I'm trying to remember what. I, it didn't matter what I said to him. He would just say like, oh, that's good, that's good. <laughs> I would say, no, you don't understand, like I'm having these dreams, oh, that's good, that's good, it's okay. 
They said one particular phrase, but it's leaving me. It might, it might come back. So what I started to realize, didn't matter what I said to him, that what he was encouraging me to do is keep going. And that that stuff needed to come out. That I had been avoiding my past, my past deeds, my uh, you know tendencies towards violence or aggression, my uh, uh, stuffing of old hurts and mistreatments. I had been avoiding it my whole life, like since I was like five. It was a habit, but it hadn't gone anywhere. And this is so much of what Buddhism is about. That true practice, and they say actually, uh, uh, a true practice doesn't really begin until you cry or until you, you know, you break down on the cushion. But that's actually, there's a purification that's taking place. You don't have to force it, right? Because it'll come. (laughs) Trust me. It will come. So this ethical integrity is a way to not cause more harm for ourselves. Because ultimately, uh, if I do something to you, I'm harming myself. And and it's staying in my mind and in my heart. And it stays there. There are some uh, styles of meditation. There are some aspects of, uh, or some sects of meditation or of Buddhism that uh, believe that we actually store these these kind of unconscious or subconscious memories in our bodies, and then they have to work themselves out. And some, that's why sometimes we have meditation pain. We're aching and painful, and then the bell rings. No more pain. Have anyone ever experienced that? I have. I've just been like, like an agony. Like you can't go on. Then the bell rings. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> This is so interesting that that happens. It's part of the purification process. One of the ways to think about it is uh, that our not following the precepts, our harm that we've caused, has it goes two places. One, it spills out to everyone around us, or or two, it, it just implodes. It goes in, right? That they say, like, anger and depression is, or no, what do they say? Anger is, uh, sadness that is expressed outward, and depression is sadness that is turned on inward. It's kind of the same way. So living in these precepts is, one, it's helping us to, to just stop spilling out. And it happens. But we, hopefully it happens less. And then to begin to kind of allow the, the, through the meditation process, this, these, uh, ways of being, these ways of, of, um, kind of understanding of our pasts, uh, to be worked out. So they call it purification. And it often comes out as restlessness. Remorse, doubt, 
strong (coughs) desire or fantasy uh, or aversion. It's generally the ways that they play out. A few weeks ago I talked about uh, this series of talks, the ten, the five, the three, and the one. And basically this is the talk of the ten. The ten unwholesome mind states that we need to work through and actually shift because there's also the ten wholesome states of mind. And this is something that the Buddha actually in his, before his uh, full awakening, his full enlightenment, before he vanquished, as as I talked about last week, Mara, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, which are the ultimately what all of these uh, unwholesome mind states represent as greed, hatred, and delusion or ignorance. So before that, with this mind training, this samadhi, this development of being aware of what's happening, both within us and around us, as he was doing that, he began to kind of categorize, oh, this thought, if I feed it, leads to entanglement, leads to unwholesome uh, uh, thoughts, it continues down the road of suffering. Oh, this causes suffering. He was able to see, oh, if I feed fear, then I suffer. And then he was able to say, so if I feed joy, or if I feed awareness, or if I feed the precepts, then I actually suffer less. So he began to kind of see how he had these two mindset mindsets. And it actually reminds me of this Native American uh, story about the two wolves. You guys ever heard that story? So that there's these two wolves that live within us. And there's this, this elder of uh, the a Cherokee nation who's sitting with his grandson. And they're sitting. The way I heard the story, this was not long after uh, 9-11. And the grandson was trying to figure out, like, why people would do that kind of thing. Like, why why these kinds of things happen in the world. And the grandfather just looked down at the son, or grandson, and said, you know, we have two wolves within us. We have a dark wolf and a light wolf. We have this unwholesome kind of quality within us. And the wholesome quality. So this dark wolf and this light wolf, they're fighting. And they're fighting for supremacy. They're fighting to take over our heart and mind. And then the grandson kind of puzzled, said, well, which one wins? And the grandfather said, the one you feed the most. So the one you feed more is the one that gets stronger And basically, uh, the Buddha had the same thing to say. Is that if we give attention and feed the uh, unwholesome parts of ourselves, we have problems. And we cause problems. And it's not our fault, right? That's the thing. We're not to blame, but we're responsible. Really like that statement. But we're not to blame. We were born with impulses and instincts and it's just the way things are. But what we choose to do with them is, is that's what matters and that's what this ethical integrity is about. 
for the greater good and for our own freedom. You know, these uh, precepts, they're so much about um, protecting ourselves, really. They're not, I mean, they are about protecting others, you know, from our suffering spilling out. But really, as I was saying before, until we can live in a way that is causing less harm, it's going to be really difficult to meditate. It's just challenging. I mean, that's my experience, you know. I used to go to Mary Grace Orr after we'd do a day long, or um, I think I sat my first like five-day retreat, and it was just torture. I was torturing myself. Every sit was like a battle. It was, I felt like it was like Vietnam in my head. Like, I seriously felt like like um, I can't remember that movie. There was like one Full Metal Jacket like in my head, and I would I would get up. I like, couldn't wait. The bell would ring. I'd be like up out the door, drinking water, tea, going on a run, whatever you know, anything I could do to distract myself from myself. I was talking to Mary Grace. And I was like, you don't really understand. I don't know if this meditation thing's for me. You know, med- uh, Mary Grace was one of the teachers here. She retired. <coughs> but she's actually teaching the retreat this year with us. But anyway, I, I remember just telling her, like, I don't think this is for me. I don't think I can do it. It's just insanity in my head. And she just, like, in a very loving way, she said, but you're still here. Right? Like you didn't get up until after the bell rang. Right? I was like, right. She was like, then you're doing just fine. This is this is your karma, basically, is what she told me. You gotta work it out. What you resist persists. The thing about karma, no one gets that no one gets away from it. Right? No one gets out of life life unscathed. And no one gets away with anything. That's the law of karma. No one gets away with anything. That's that's a really freeing statement for me and a freeing belief. Because that way, it's not my job to make sure that that person gets this or that person gets that. The law of karma will take care of that. Of course, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) We may cause harm or act out, act outside of this ethical integrity. It happens, right? And it often comes out as a sense of separation. So if I feel separated from you or from others, then I may be, I'm, I'm thinking more selfishly and less on how my actions are affecting others. So, the way the Buddha talked about this, he talked about the ten unwholesome courses of action, right? Akusala. Deeds which originate from greed, hatred, and delusion, which I already talked about. So they are right, killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, slander, harsh speech, useless talk, covetousness, ill will, and false views. So these are known as the ten kind of unwholesome states of mind or actions. 
unwholesome courses of action is the way that's talked about. Deeds. So killing, obviously. Now, if we, I eat meat, if you eat meat, from the Buddhist perspective, actually the Buddha ate meat. The Buddha ate what was offered to him. And if there was fish head soup, and it was offered, he would eat fish head soup. If it was something that had some sausage in it or whatever, he would he might try to eat around it, but he would still eat it. And that's the same true for uh, monks today. That the idea of vegetarianism kind of came in later. And you know, some and nowadays people make their they make choices and again it's about non harming. The reason why I say that is because um, there are, you know, each one of these things has an implication in, in karmic momentum. And so the fact that I eat meat, I'm, I'm fully aware that there might be some karmic implication in that. And I, I just continue along that path. I'm not, uh, that's just where I'm at today. So stealing. Stealing has karmic implication. Both in the in the heart and mind, and so does eating meat, actually. Even just saying what I just said to you, there was a little ripple in me of like, yeah, that, that's not, I'm not actually living in full integrity. But I actually don't kill things, but that's my justification. It's interesting. Do you eat them all yeah. I'd like to eat them alive. <laughs> no, you know, I'm, I'm skirting around the issue because I, it's like a whole discussion that I don't actually want to get into because I want to get through the other ten or nine. But it's something worth talking about that maybe we have, if we have time at the end we can talk a little bit about. So killing, stealing, sexual misconduct. So here's the thing. All of these at the time of the Buddha, killing meant that you don't actually kill. It didn't mean that you that you eat animal products. It just meant that you actually don't participate in the taking of life. Stealing, you don't actually take that which is not offered. Sexual misconduct in the time of the Buddha meant that you um, don't uh, sleep with other people's wives. It was primarily for men because we're the lustful ones, apparently. And um, it, it meant um, that you don't sleep with wives. It meant that you don't um, that you don't have sexual kind of fantasy or action towards children or towards any, anyone that's kind of still under their parents, um, and or sleep with uh, those who work in brothels. That's primarily what sexual misconduct meant. Uh, of course, you can. Really expand it today, right? There's a lot of ways. And I'm, that's what I read earlier was is one of my favorite ways of looking at it, which is really to be wise with sexuality and wise with our sexual energy as a way of, with the intention of not causing harm. It doesn't say don't be sexual right? if you're not a monk or a nun. Right? But to be wise with your intention is super important. To not cause harm to self or other. Lying, slander. 
harsh speech. We've had some uh, discussions, me and my friends and other teachers, about harsh speech because sometimes I use it right here. Um, What some people would call harsh harsh speech. Because I may drop an F-bomb or something. Just sometimes my language. But the the way that I understand this um, harsh speech is when you're speaking to someone harshly. Like in a, not like using colorful language in a nebulous way, but in a direct, like, you are this, you know, that kind of, that to me is what harsh speech means. That's my understanding of it from an ethical point of view. That not just in general, and it could just be, I'm sure there's people that would argue with me about it. It's my view. Useless talk. Useless talk is one that I, I really, um, I'm, I've been interested in. Because it's like, when there's, the, like, you just come up with things to say just to say it. It's like kind of like small talk or talk that's not to the point. Not like to your point or, but to the point of truth. So sometimes people use words as distraction. And this is basically saying, uh, be wise with your speech in such a way as to uh, not, like, to only speak when when it's necessary, or when it's helpful, or when it's beneficial, that kind of thing. Not just the small talk. Covetousness. Desire, wanting what others have. It's just not helpful. It's pretty much in every religion, yeah. Ill will and false views. And false views, um, from the Buddhist perspective means not understanding karma, rebirth, the four noble truths, and having a different view. Not believing, like, like, not really buying karma. That's if you have another view that's other than that, it's considered a false view from the from the monastic way, from the Buddhist view. And uh, the Buddha often explained it as uh, leading to vexation and craziness. Like if you have a view that leads to vexation and craziness, um, it, it's a false view. It's not helpful. If you have a view other than that which is true, from the Buddhist perspective, like anatta, anicca, and dukkha. Which is suffering, impermanence, and not self. No fixed impermanent self. That would be considered uh, an unwholesome course of action. To feed that. So on the contrary, there's the opposites of these, right? Which are the virtuous qualities of non-attachment, goodwill, and wisdom. And so these... Generate what's called wholesome karma. And they're basically generosity, right? ethics or morality, living in an ethical way, meditation, respect. And it's interesting like what that means, yeah? Because respect means a lot of different things. But I, I, I think in the terms of ahimsa, which is non-harming, it's like respect for all living things. Yeah. Respect or protect life in that way. Service, 
so being of service, you know, giving to a community, giving of your time, giving of yourself. These are considered uh, ways to generate wholesome and uh, good karma. Transference of merit. So that means like at the end of every sit here, uh, we say, you know, uh, may, may our efforts uh, go to, we share it out, you know, go to the benefit of all beings. That's called sharing of merit. Um, it's just something that we do. It's like we don't just do this for ourselves, but we actually meditate and try to live by these precepts, not just for ourselves, but for all being. That's called sharing of merit. So when you do that, you're creating good karma. So rejoicing in the good deeds of others. So that's like really uh, like allowing the heart to open and, 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 and be happy that uh, when others do something that is you know, beneficial, like go on meditation retreats or um, be of service in some way or you know, just do good things. Rejoicing in that. So here in the Dharma, so you guys are all generating good karma right now. Hearing the Dharma is uh, considered to be one of the wholesome uh, courses of action. So showing up, when you show up here every week, and you're meditating, or how many of you times a week, and you meditate, and you're, you know, you're really putting effort into freeing your own heart and mind, that is a wholesome action. And it counters the unwholesome action. Not just that one, but all of the ones I'm talking about. Let's see, where was I? Expounding the Dharma. So teaching, explaining the Dharma is supposed to be uh, also uh, wholesome and creating of good karma. Which is totally why I'm in this. You know? <laughs> That's why I did it. And then straightening out one's views. So straightening out, out one's views is the counter for the false views, right? And uh, what it basically means is through investigation, through patience, through our continued um, understanding of uh, what's true, then we begin to we, we begin to straighten out our view. Doesn't mean believing everything you hear. It means seeing for yourself whether that's true. So right view is seeing clearly the momentum of karma. It's basically what we're talking about. There's a lot more here. And I'm going to run out of time. So I want to talk about a few things. Our thoughts, our words, are in a sense what um, we call the we are the herit- the inheritors of our karma based on our thoughts, words, and actions. So what we're trying to do here is both see clearly how those thoughts, words, and actions uh, play out in our current mind state or in the future. 
uh, or how and about how do we do that by experiencing what's happening to us now based on past action. But just because we decide to live in this ethical way doesn't mean the rest of the world's going to. And so we have to really look out for spiritual superiority, for ego, of like, well, I'm doing in such a, I'm so self-righteous in my goodness that you are clearly less, you know, of a good person or whatever, less fortunate than me. Like there's this kind of one up, one down, which, you know, egotism, it also causes, uh, uh, just obstructs us from that which is true, causes that separation. But it doesn't mean that we have to stick around and let people abuse us either. Because I'm such a good person now that I'm going to just let people talk harshly to me. No, that's not, that's not what we're saying. And actually there's several examples in the suttas and the teachings of uh, the Buddha just being like, what you're saying is false. You're in, it's inaccurate. I do not accept this conversation. And has like walked away. Like walked away. <laughs> You know, like if somebody gives you an invitation and you don't pick the invitation up, whose invitation is it? Right? It's kind of that same way. That we don't need to, uh, uh, in order to be good. I think this gets, this has gotten a little, um, distorted, you know, that to be compassionate doesn't mean to care about everyone all the time. And actually there's this, um, there's this quote from T.S. Eliot that I, I really like. It's, it says, teach the people to care and not care. So it's like, I care, but on some level, you are the heir to your own karma. And so my wishes for your well-being aren't actually going to do anything for you. Your actions alone. And this is really what the Buddha uh, pointed to again and again. Now we can care, Right? Like I like I hope that people are able to you know kind of live in an ethical way and uh, meditate and find some freedom or you know live in a way that is bringing joy and peace to their life. But I can't actually do it for you. Sorry. There's this quote from uh, Guy Armstrong, one of my teachers up at Spirit Rock, who said that um, you know that it's like. Seeing the splinter of suffering in each person's mind and wanting to be able to remove it. Like, it's a splinter. Can't you see the splinter? Just take it out. And how do we do that? By following these precepts, by learning this meditation practice, and by when things get hard, karmically. Just hard. We don't have to call it karma. Just it is when things get difficult, can we hold fast? Sometimes that's all we can do. And when there's room for movement, when there's room for shifting, when there's room for you know being able to make a different choice, can we do that next right thing? This is kind of some of the understanding of uh, of karma. So to be compassionate of the suffering of others is a wise and sometimes difficult action, but one that is necessary 
to proceed along the path. So we can be compassionate means to care. But then also we have we don't have to take it to that next level. We can, we choose to. We don't have to take it to the next level of like, I'm gonna save everyone. I'm gonna save you all. You will never suffer again. No, I can't. It's you. You have to make that decision yourself. Each moment, right? We all have to. Each moment. So ethical integrity and Buddhism places the effort and the responsibility solely on the individual. This is this is what this law of karma is about. That I can want you. We have this center because we really hope that people will find freedom from their own suffering. And not spill out onto the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. There's some beautiful examples of that. I think His Holiness the Dalai Lama is a beautiful example. Thich Nhat Hanh. You know. Not sure how many beautiful Western examples there are. Gil Fromsdale is a pretty good example, actually. He's pretty blameless, if you ask me. There are few few Western teachers that I could really say that about. He's definitely one of them. Just kind of, you know, if you haven't if you haven't actually ever uh, sat with Gil, uh, it's a good idea to do that. So I was thinking, I'll open up for some questions, but I was thinking we'd actually end. Uh, we don't really have time. I will. We'll end with a little bit of guided meditation. Um, just on this kind of uh, really compassion and seeing um, this ethical integrity and the the there's a phrase around all beings are heir to their karma. So we'll use that. So just sitting comfortably, allowing the eyes to close. Breathing in. Connecting with the breath. And just as You know, I wish to be happy, just as we wish to be happy. Can also wish that happiness out. Maybe thinking of someone that you know that's suffering. Someone that's not living necessarily in ethical integrity. It's not following their true nature. We can just say these simple phrases to them from our hearts to their hearts. May you be happy. May you be happy. May 
you be free from suffering. And if that sounds too extravagant, maybe may your suffering decrease or lessen. May your suffering decrease, lessen. May all beings recognize that they are heirs to their karma. So the phrase is, all beings are heirs to their karma. All beings are heirs to their own karma. May your suffering decrease. All beings are heir to their karma. goodness that has been gained by our practice, by our exploration of the Dharma, by the truth (coughs) that we seek, may this goodness be dedicated to the freedom from suffering for all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free from karma. I mean free from suffering. And may we all understand that we are heirs to our karma. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.